upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. Content warning. This episode contains details of statutory rape. Listener discretion is advised. was an exceptional teacher at this Seattle elementary school, but it was here that she also began her affair with a student in her sixth grade class. Mary Kay was 34. The boy was 13, just a year older than Mary Kay's eldest son. There was another bombshell. Mary was pregnant again with Billy's child conceived during the weeks she had been out on parole. Within weeks of your release from jail, you purposely violated the conditions of your sentence. She never knew she was doing anything illegal when she started the affair, claiming it was consensual, even though the age of consent was, and still is, 16. Am I sorry he's the father of my children and that we're married and this is the man of my life? No, I'm not. This week, I'll be telling you about the case of Mary Kay Letourneau. But first, let's head to our PNW town profile. Burien, Washington is a suburb south of Seattle in King County. The first recorded settlement in the area was established in 1864 by a French-Canadian man. The area was first called Sunnydale, but would be named Burien after German immigrants who owned several taverns in downtown Seattle settled in the area at which point it was only accessible by walking trails as passable roads had not been built yet. The town was then renamed for the German immigrants, however the name became misspelled over the years, as their last name ended in A-N, but Burien now ends in E-N. In 1915, the Lake Burien Railway was completed. A small passenger train would run to downtown Seattle and back and was referred to as the Tunerville Trolley. However, in its first summer running, squished caterpillars made the tracks slippery, and in the winter, they would get too icy, so the trolley was ultimately removed shortly after its completion. The city of Burien was not incorporated until 1993, when its residents felt like they needed more government support on issues over SeaTac Airport. 
As of the 2010 census, the population was just over 30,000. However, with annexations and changes to the borders of cities in King County, the population has grown significantly over the past 10 years, bumping them up to closer to 50,000 people and making Burien the 23rd largest city in Washington state. Now on to our story. Mary Catherine Schmitz was born on January 30, 1962, in Orange County, California, to her college professor and politician father, John Schmitz, and her devoutly Catholic mother, Mary, who was formerly a chemist. She was the fourth child, but first daughter born into the family. She was known as Mary Kay from the time she was little to her family, and she used that name throughout her life. Her father had his own nickname for her, which was Cake and he was the only person to call her that. Her parents would have three more children, bringing the total to seven, and she was raised in a strict Roman Catholic home. In 1973, her three-year-old little brother, Philip, died in a drowning accident in the family pool. Mary Kay and one of her brothers were in charge of keeping an eye on the three-year-old, and while they were playing in the shallow end of the pool, he had fallen in the deep end and had drowned before it was noticed. She was 11 years old when this tragedy happened, and the trauma of that day was said to have impacted her life heavily. Also an important part of Mary Kay's childhood was her father's political career and ultimate downfall that affected the entire Schmitz family. When she was around two years old, her father began his political career by successfully running as a Republican for a seat in the state legislature. He would go on to hold positions as a California state senator and U.S. congressman, after winning a special election for an unexpired term in 1970, and then winning the general election later in the year. This prompted the Schmitz family to move to Sacramento. After he lost in the 1972 primary, he switched political parties and made an unsuccessful run for president as a member of the American Party. Nearly a million people voted for him, but that accounted to less than 1% of the popular vote. Schmitz had extreme right-wing views and was found to be the third most conservative member of Congress between the years of 1937 and 2002. He was also a leader in the ultra-conservative John Birch Society, but was later expelled for his extremist views. However, his political career came crashing down after his second family was discovered. In 1982, an infant who was around six months old presented to an Orange County hospital with his mother. A piece of hair was wrapped so tightly around the infant's penis that it almost severed. The baby underwent a successful surgery and no permanent injury was sustained. However, the hospital workers became skeptical of how the hair got there, especially since the doctor observed it appeared to be tied in a neat square knot. CPS was called and the mother was not allowed to take the baby home until an investigation could be performed. They visited the mother's home and she was clearly overwhelmed caring for two small children while managing type 1 diabetes and two jobs to support her family. This woman was a 43-year-old Swedish-born immigrant and Republican Party volunteer. Detectives threatened to take the baby and arrest her unless she identified the father at which point she said politician John Schmitz, champion of family values, was the father. Not only that, but the infant boy had an older sister who was also fathered by Schmitz. 
During a custody hearing in regards to his mistress keeping custody of her children, John acknowledged paternity of both the little boy and his older sister, but he claimed that the children were her responsibility and he had no interest in supporting the children emotionally or financially. Custody was ultimately granted to their mother. When this story broke to the media, it effectively ended his political career. Schmidt's affair also affected his wife Mary's career, as she was a television political commentator. She advocated for the conservative side on the political roundtable debate show called Free For All. She campaigned vigorously against the Equal Rights Amendment for women. Mary Kay's parents would separate in the fallout of the affair, but they reconciled quickly thereafter. John Schmitz never financially supported the two children he had outside of his marriage, while his mistress worked two jobs to support them. In 1994, when the children were 11 and 13, their mother died from complications of type 1 diabetes. Schmitz refused to take custody of the children, and they were placed with a friend of the mother's, but she also unexpectedly passed away three years later in 1997, at which point John Schmitz once again refused custody of his children, and they became wards of the state. That story broke my heart. Those poor kids didn't deserve any of that, and I really hope they're okay today. In this situation, Mary Kay sided with her father, saying that her mother was cold towards him and drove him to another woman. By Mary Kay's high school years, the family had moved back to the same area of California that she was born in, but a different neighborhood. She attended an all-girls Catholic school in Anaheim, California, and was a cheerleader. According to Mary Kay's best friend from high school, they enjoyed partying and would frequent frat parties at a nearby university and even snuck to Mexico for a weekend while they were underage. She went on to attend Arizona State University and intended to move to Washington, D.C. after graduation to pursue a career in politics. Her father was not the only person in her family to be involved in politics. Her brother John was the deputy counsel to President George H.W. Bush, and her older brother Joseph was inspector general of the U.S. Department of Defense under George W. Bush and a foreign policy advisor to President Donald Trump. However, Mary Kay's political plans were disrupted in college when she met a classmate named Steve Letourneau and became pregnant with their first child. She was unsure of what to do. She knew she wanted to keep the baby, but was unsure if she wanted to marry Steve or raise the baby as a single mom. She had not told her parents she was pregnant yet, and one day while sitting in class, she started to bleed heavily and went to the hospital. She called her mom at that point and told her the news of the pregnancy, and her mom advised her to not have the DNC procedure, which is a common procedure when going through a miscarriage to ensure all of the tissue is removed from the uterus to prevent infection or heavy bleeding. Her mom advised against this, stating in the off chance she was pregnant with twins, she would effectively be aborting the other one. It turns out her mother's speculation was actually correct. She had been pregnant with twins and was miscarrying one, while the other baby was healthy. She asked her parents for advice about her situation, and they strongly encouraged her to marry Steve. She had doubts about him, though. She wasn't in love with him. He seemed immature, and he wasn't as smart as she had hoped for in a husband. But he was willing to marry her and keep the family together, so she went ahead with the marriage. They both dropped out of college before moving to Steve's hometown of Anchorage, Alaska, where he became a baggage handler for Alaska Airlines. 
Their first child was born in 1985, and a year later, Steve was transferred to SeaTac Airport, where the family settled in a suburb and had three more children. The marriage was unhappy from the start, as Steve didn't take his wedding vows seriously and had multiple affairs. Between birthing and raising four small children, Mary Kay went back to school and graduated from Seattle University in 1989 with her teaching degree and landed her first teaching job at Shorewood Elementary in Burien as a second grade teacher. She clearly loved children and was mostly well-liked by her teaching peers, but she also had an issue with timeliness. When pressed about this by coworkers, she said Steve made her keep the kids awake until he got home from work late at night, giving her no time to prep for the following school day. And then she would have to get all of the kids out the door and get her lesson plans together. She also was a very lenient teacher, which some coworkers said led to her classroom being frequently chaotic. Mary Kay took special interest in a student in her second grade class who she felt was exceptionally gifted in art. His name was Vili Falau, who was born to parents Suna and Luavia on June 26, 1983. His father was in prison for armed robbery, and his mother Suna worked at a bakery and struggled to support the family. The next years in the Letourneau marriage continued to be tumultuous. Steve continued to carry on affairs, sometimes right in front of Mary Kay's face, trying to make her jealous. According to Mary Kay's attorney, David Gerke, in a Los Angeles Times article, she was physically abused by her husband as well and had to be hospitalized twice for injuries he inflicted. And the police got involved, but no charges were ever filed. She had a miscarriage in 1995, and within months she found out that her father had terminal cancer, which devastated her. She turned to her husband for comfort, but he shrugged her off and his coldness devastated her. That year, she also received a promotion at work and became a 5th and 6th grade teacher. Her principal wrote on her evaluation, quote, Mary Letourneau is not only a gift to Shorewood Elementary School, but a gift to the entire Highline School District. In her first year teaching the older grades, Mary Kay encountered a familiar face. 12-year-old Vili Falau, her former 2nd grade student, was once again placed in her class. She took special interest in him once more, which included helping him with his art after class, and turned into him spending time at the Letourneau house. They took art classes together at Highline Community College and the Seattle Art Store. During the summer of 1996, following Villy's sixth grade year, Mary Kay even convinced Steve to let Villy come on their family vacation to Anchorage, and Villy was becoming an annoyance to Steve, who didn't like the fact that the kid was always at their house and that Mary Kay let him smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol inside their home, behavior that had been noticed by the neighbors. On one occasion, Steve and Mary Kay got into a heated debate about Billy being there so much, and the 13-year-old left and started to walk home. Mary Kay chased after him in her minivan and caught up to him near the marina, where she coaxed him into the car. The pair parked, and Mary Kay tearfully apologized for her husband's behavior. Billy leaned in and kissed her, and was shocked when she kissed him back. As they were kissing and things were escalating, a police officer knocked on the window of the minivan. The officer was highly suspicious, even though it wasn't reported that he witnessed physical contact, but he was skeptical either way and had lots of questions for the pair, who said Billy's mom was out of town and Mary Kay was keeping an eye on him for her. 
the officer called Billy's mom, who vouched for their story because she was hoping to spare her son from getting into trouble, and the officer let them go. It would be nearly a year before Mary Kay would be in hot water again for her behavior. When their physical relationship began, Mary Kay was 34 and Billy was 12. In October of 1996, Mary Kay called up her friend to tell her she was in love. She didn't reveal who he was and said they weren't sexually involved yet, but they were considering it, and he was her soulmate. A few weeks later, she called the same friend with an even bigger bombshell. She was pregnant with her new love's baby. She said she knew it wasn't Steve's, but she was going to try and trick him into thinking it was, but also confided that it would only last until the birth because the baby would have dark hair and skin. The baby was conceived in August, just after Billy's 13th birthday. In February of 1997, Mary Kay's husband found love letters between the two. He was angry, realizing that the baby likely belonged to the teenager, and demanded that the affair end immediately. He even confronted Billy at his home, and told him it had to end, or he would tell his mother. As a scared teenager, he agreed to end the affair to avoid his mom finding out, although he said he was devastated about it. I need to take a pause here and acknowledge what you guys already know, but want to make it clear on my part. This was statutory rape of a child. He wasn't at an age that he could consent, and personally, the way she got close to him would be considered grooming in my eyes. However, I'm telling the story as it was reported. Some of my sources are news articles from the 90s and firsthand accounts from those involved, and I'm using their words. At this point, Steve reportedly got even more physically abusive towards Mary Kay when he found out that the baby was Billy's. He reportedly began hitting her in the stomach, hoping to cause a miscarriage, and encouraged her to have an abortion, a sentiment expressed by her mother as well, who had been a staunch pro-life advocate. But Mary Kay decided to keep the baby. Even though Billy agreed to stop seeing Mary Kay, Steve had confided in some of his family members that the baby belonged to the young teenager, but swore them to secrecy. These family members did the right thing and informed school officials and CPS, who turned the case over to the police. The following day, Billy, who was now a 7th grader attending Cascade Middle School, was questioned by police. He admitted that they had a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship and also to having sex with Mary Kay. That same day, an obviously pregnant Mary Kay was called out of a teacher's meeting and placed under arrest for statutory rape. And just like her father before her, Mary Kay was in a sex scandal that would destroy her family. Once released on bail, she went home to an empty house. Steve and the kids were gone. She called her mom in search of her family, who informed her that Steve and her four children had been taken in by relatives. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Let's talk about hair. I've struggled to find a shampoo and conditioner that works for me. Some make my scalp dry and itchy, others make my hair feel greasy and weighed down, and I'm sure my love of dry shampoo hasn't helped matters either. I've done a lot of research trying to find a shampoo and conditioner combo that was just right for my hair. That was until I found Seattle-based company Gemist. I took their quick two-minute quiz and their fancy schmancy algorithm matched me with the best shampoo, conditioner, and a scalp balancing bar. I was shocked by how fast it arrived to my doorstep and as soon as I opened the box it smelled amazing. 
with hints of mixed berries, pink pepper, lily of the valley, rose, crushed tonka bean, amber, and a splash of orange, I knew my hair would smell heavenly. I matched with shampoo six, which is great for volumizing, free of parabens, dyes, and sulfates, and safe on color-treated hair. And conditioner 13, which is their best detangling conditioner that also protects color from fading and strengthens hair by 76%. I have super thick hair, and usually I have to use a ton of conditioner and brush it out for a long time, but not after a quarter size amount of Gemma's conditioner. It combs through so easily, and best of all, my scalp isn't itchy and my hair is soft and shiny. So much so that even my husband noticed after my first wash. I have to admit, I had no idea what a scalp bar was, but it removed buildup and more. Is it magic? Nope, it's science. Bonus, you can also save money by subscribing. So if you are ready for the best hair of your life, try Gemist. Right now, my listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner smart subscription. Smart subscribers already save 20% on each order, so this is an amazing deal. And with free two-day shipping, you can have it ASAP. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter code UPPERLEFT at checkout for 20% off your subscription and free two-day shipping. That is Gemist.com. G-E-M-M-I-S-T dot com and enter code upper left at checkout to get the best hair of your life. This episode is sponsored by Smile Brilliant. I am one of the 40 million Americans who grind their teeth at night. There can be many causes such as stress, anxiety, or an abnormal bite. And chronic teeth grinding can lead to worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and expensive dental procedures. The best solution for teeth grinding is the custom-fitted night guard. However, it's costly, with the average dentist charging between two and $300 per guard, and you will grind through several a year. Using Smile Brilliant's LabDirect process, you can get the same custom-fitted night guards for as little as $45 per guard. Not only that, but as an upper left corner listener, enjoy 30% off site-wide at smilebrilliant.com using code UPPERLEFT. That code is also good on their other amazing products, such as their whitening trays or electric toothbrushes. Head over to smilebrilliant.com today. Your business deserves the same expertise as that of a Fortune 500 company. If you need a CIO-level service, why hire a full-time staff member at $250,000 a year when you can get this on-demand service for fractions of the cost? As your CIO on demand, we'll give you the steps you need to take so as to minimize interruption to your business and profitability and provide you and your business with training and education to prevent future attacks. To get an efficiency review for your business today, contact us at www.ee-services.com. And now back to the story. Mary Kay was obviously suspended from work, which she commented in a 2018 documentary. She was surprised by being suspended because although what she was doing was morally wrong, she didn't see it as particularly severe. An extensive investigation took place to see if Mary Kay had ever been inappropriate with any other children, and luckily nothing turned up. The relationship made international headlines, and during the media firestorm, Billy wanted to stay private at first. Since he was underage, his name was not released to the press. However, he eventually gave comments, telling Cairo 7 that the pregnancy was no accident. Quote, We made a plan. The only way to keep us together was to have a baby, so that baby would remind me of her. The family later sued Cairo 7 News Station for invasion of privacy. 
He maintained that he was not a victim and not traumatized by anything that happened with Mary Kay. His mother, although disapproving of their sexual relationship, also said her son was no victim and the case should not be prosecuted. In May of 1997, Mary Kay gave birth to her fifth child, a daughter. Although her husband and children were gone, her career was permanently damaged and she was facing prison time. She appeared to forget her troubles and her joy over her newborn daughter. Defying a court order, Billy spent time at Mary Kay's house. The 14-year-old father would change diapers and feed the baby. During this time, Mary Kay underwent a court-ordered psychiatric evaluation, and she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which caused extreme mood swings. She was prescribed mood-stabilizing drugs and began attending therapy. In July of 1997, Mary Kay's lawyer worked out a plea deal in which she would plead guilty to child rape. She was required to take her medication for at least six months, serve three months in jail, and then be released on probation. After her jail release, she would be required to participate in a sex offender treatment program. At the hearing where the judge was to decide whether to accept the plea agreement, Mary Kay spoke to Judge Lau, saying, Your Honor, I did something that I had no right to do, morally or legally. It was wrong, and I am sorry. I give you my word that it will not happen again. Please help me. Help us all. Judge Lau accepted the plea bargain on two conditions. One, that Mary Kay give up custody of her and Billy's child to Billy's mother while she was in prison. And the second was that she never have contact with Billy again. Mary Kay agreed to the conditions and began serving her sentence. She was released in January of 1998. But just weeks later, on February 3rd, Seattle police were on a routine neighborhood patrol and pulled up alongside a gray Volkswagen Fox sedan, noticing the windows were steamed with two people in the car. The officers ordered the couple out of the car and immediately recognized Mary Kay and Billy. She was placed under arrest for violating her probation. Billy was a high school freshman at the time of this incident. Three days later, Mary Kay appeared in court as television viewers watched on. In the two-hour hearing, a police officer testified that Mary Kay had lied to him when he found her and Billy in a car earlier that week, and they also found thousands of dollars of cash in the car, along with Mary Kay's passport. Judge Lau didn't hold back her feelings and told Mary Kay, quote, This case is not about a flawed system. It is about an opportunity that you foolishly squandered. She then vacated the plea bargain and sentenced Mary Kay to seven and a half years in prison, the maximum for child rape. Shortly into her sentence, prison officials discovered Mary Kay was pregnant for the second time by Billy. She was only out of prison for a very small time frame, but it was apparently enough. The prosecutor had the option to try Mary Kay again for an additional charge of child rape, but ultimately decided against it. In October of 1998, Mary Kay gave birth to her sixth child and second daughter with Billy. Custody was immediately given to Billy's mother. Her four children from her first marriage came and visited on occasion in prison, and the two she had with Billy had regular visits. While serving her sentence, Mary Kay was placed in solitary confinement for six months after letters she had tried to send to Billy were intercepted in November of 1999. Then in 2001, her father passed away from cancer. Her request to attend his funeral was denied. 
Meanwhile, Billy was raising their daughters as a teenager. He later stated that he had little to no help and suffered from severe depression through the rest of his teenage years and even contemplated suicide. He said this was made even harder by the fact that he was prohibited from reaching out to Mary Kay while she was in prison, even though he wanted to. In January of 1998, Billy appeared on The Oprah Show and expressed his love for Mary Kay during his interview, stating that he planned to marry her someday. Billy and his mom co-authored a book called Only One Crime Love. However, it was only published in France. It was never published in the U.S. on account that it named a woman that Steve Letourneau had supposedly impregnated, and she had passed the child off as her husband's. And also, Mary Kay disputed the accuracy of some parts of the book. In 2002, Billy and his family sued the school district and the police for failing to stop the relationship. He cited that he suffered emotionally as the result of the relationship with Mary Kay Letourneau and that he was no longer in love with the mother of his children and he did not see a future with her. Ultimately, the jury didn't believe him and along with other evidence proving the school and police department were not at fault, the jury sided with the defendants and no damages were paid to Billy or his family. The transcripts from his deposition for this lawsuit were released to the media and some sad facts about his life were revealed. My source for this information is a 2001 Seattle Times article which summarizes the details of the deposition. The effect his relationship with Mary Kay had on his life started out small, such as when his brother found out they were having a sexual relationship, he bribed him by making him do all of his chores so that he wouldn't tell anyone. Then his mom dipped heavily into the book money he had received from the French publishing of Only One Crime Love. He had earned $100,000 for it. She took $6,000 to throw a lavish first birthday party for Billy's daughter at a SeaTac hotel. And he claims many strangers showed up to eat and drink but didn't even acknowledge him or his daughter. He began having nightmares, including a reoccurring dream of a praying mantis where the female ripped the male partner's head off after mating. He was bullied at school and went from having straight A's in middle school to drinking, running errands for a gang, and dabbling in drugs. He attempted suicide in 1999 by punching out a window and using the broken glass to slice up his arm. All of these things could have been avoided had Mary Kay made different choices. She was the adult in the situation. Not only had she put him in the situation of being a single dad as a young teenager, given the smallest opportunity and she did it again, placing even more responsibility on a child. After serving her full sentence at the Washington Correction Center for Women in Gig Harbor, she was released on August 4, 2004 at the age of 42. She had to register as a convicted sex offender with the sheriff's office and would be required to do so in whatever county she moved for the rest of her life. And she was prohibited from holding a teaching job where she would work with minors. Billy, who was now 21 years old, requested a reversal of the no contact order against Mary Kay. He stated to make parenting easier so they could be at school functions together and such, which was granted. They were able to once again spend time together this time with Billy as a consenting adult, and in the fall of 2004, they became engaged. On May 20th, 2005, the couple were married at the Columbia Winery near Woodenville, Washington, and sold the wedding access to Entertainment Tonight. Mary Kay's daughter from her first marriage was her maid of honor, 
A woman she met in prison was a bridesmaid, and the couple's two young daughters were the flower girls. She was 43 and he was 22. Around 200 people were in attendance, and a media helicopter flew overhead. However, the only camera access allowed at the wedding was granted to Entertainment Tonight in exchange for money. They settled in a suburb of Seattle and attempted to live a normal life. But in December of 2005, Billy was pulled over in his silver Cadillac DeVille going 55 miles per hour in a 35 by an officer in SeaTac. Billy was driving his wife's car just past midnight with a male passenger who was nearly passed out from being intoxicated. The officer smelled alcohol on Billy and noticed his eyes were bloodshot and asked him if he had been drinking. Billy admitted that he had had four shots of vodka. The officer asked Billy to take a field sobriety test, which he refused, but he did take two blood alcohol breath tests, and he blew a .135 and a .133. The legal limit in the state of Washington is .08. Billy would hire a defense attorney and plead not guilty, but on April 28, 2006, a jury found him guilty of drunk driving. He was sentenced to one day in jail and just over $2,000 in court fees. He also was on probation for two years and had to use an ignition interlock device on his vehicle to prove that he hadn't been drinking before the car would start. Mary Kay and Billy lived for the first few years of their marriage on the money that they had received from selling the rights to their wedding. They rented a three-bedroom house in Normandy Park, Washington. They would agree to interviews over the years to help pay the bills, including one with People magazine published on May 15, 2006. They revealed that Mary Kay's four older children visited the couple regularly, as did the couple's two daughters who were still in the custody of Billy's mother. They opened up about their life together, saying they are just a normal couple who do normal things. Billy admitted there was some tension between Mary Kay's older kids and himself when they would stay at their place, and also stated that their number one goal was to gain custody of their daughters, which eventually they did. In 2009, they cashed in on their notoriety by participating in multiple Hot for Teacher Nights at a Seattle club. Mary Kay acted as hostess and greeted people as they entered the bar, while Billy was the DJ under the moniker DJ Headline. She also found work as a paralegal. Mary Kay became a first-time grandmother in 2011 after her oldest son, who was 18 months younger than her husband, had a daughter. In May of 2017, Billy legally separated from Mary Kay, but according to an alleged interview he gave to Radar Online, it was only on paper so that he could start a marijuana business. Mary Kay had a criminal record and background checks would be performed on both of them if they were married to obtain the proper licensing. He was quoted in the article saying, It's not necessarily what you think. But just months later, in August of 2017, Billy's lawyers released a statement saying he never spoke to Radar and that he was moving forward with the separation despite Mary Kay's wishes to reconcile. In February of 2018, Thalau was arrested for drunk driving again after hitting two cars in Burien, Washington. When the police arrived, he was disoriented and slurring his speech. Reports claim that Mary Kay arrived shortly after the accident and told him not to take any sobriety tests without the presence of a lawyer. When asked by Barbara Walters if she thinks she stole her husband's childhood from him, she pointed to the fact that they had time apart while she was in prison. Quote, 
The only benefit, if there is any benefit that I was away, is that he had years to be without me and not in a relationship, and added that he wasn't physically faithful while she was in prison, and that while she was away, he was able to do his thing. You guys, I try not to insert my opinion too much in this podcast, just give you the facts and let you make up your own minds, but I can't even right now with that statement. And as you heard in the trailer, she said she was not sorry for what happened. I've already mentioned what Billy went through in his teen years raising two babies, and years and years later, she flippantly says he got to do his thing while she was in prison. All of the damage done to her six kids and Billy when he was a child is shameful. And although once Billy was an adult, they did get married and live a large portion of their lives together as a family, their relationship is the exception and not the rule for how statutory rape usually plays out. Okay, I got that out of the way. Let's get back to the facts. And in August of 2019, the couple finalized their divorce and came to an agreement over splitting up their assets and liabilities. The couple remained amicable and focused on their daughters. At the beginning of 2020, Mary Kay began feeling sick and went to the doctor. After a thorough examination, she was diagnosed with colorectal cancer that had spread to her liver. She called Billy, who had been living in California at the time, and he hopped on a plane to be with her in Washington. He was surprised to see how healthy she looked, but things deteriorated quickly. She took a bad fall not too long after her diagnosis, and while getting x-rays for her arm, which was broken, it was discovered that the cancer had also spread to her spine and her brain, leaving no treatment options. Mary Kay Letourneau passed away from a six-month battle of cancer on July 6, 2020. Although they had divorced and there had been some animosity between them in the last years of her life, Billy was by her side at the end. He was with her 24-7 for the last two months of her life, taking care of her. She was surrounded by her children and Billy as she passed away at her home in Des Moines. And that is the case of Mary Kay Letourneau. This week's local wine that I paired with my true crime is a Cabernet Sauvignon from Rocky Pond Winery out of Chelan, Washington. The vineyard is located 15 miles southwest of Lake Chelan and the tasting notes are as follows. This wine is medium to deep ruby in color with aromas of red currant, cedar, and sweet tobacco. On the palate, warm notes of cherry cola, almond, and graham cracker. It pairs well with grilled meat or portobello mushrooms. Cheers, and thanks for listening. Upper Left Corner, a PNW true crime podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend. All of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com. While you are there, check out the Support Victim Causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch. You can follow me on Instagram at Upper Left Corner Pod. If you have a case suggestion or a PNW wine recommendation, please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com. 
thank you for your support.